This is Fundraising Radio, and today as a guest speaker, we have Jamie Gull, founder and CEO of Telling Air, recent graduate of YC Winter 2020 batch. And today we're mostly going to focus on why Combinator doesn't make sense to get into YC. Is it really worth the effort? And maybe some founders should consider some different incubators and accelerators. So Jamie, let's get started by you giving us some background on yourself and on Telling Air. Yes, hi, thank you for having me. Um, quick, so I guess quick background on myself. I went to Stanford and studied aerospace, did a bachelor's and master's there in that. Uh, after that, I worked at an aircraft company called Scale Composites out in the Mojave Desert. That's where Spaceship One and Two came out of, and now that's turning the Virgin Galactic. I did not work on those programs, but that's what people generally know the most about. After that, I was at SpaceX for over five years. I primarily worked on the first stage of the Falcon 9 aft thermal shield, which is on the bottom of the first stage and allows the first stage to re-enter the atmosphere once it's been used, and then the stage can land and be reused. Mm -hmm. uh, Post-SpaceX, I started a satellite antenna company with a couple other guys that was based in Colorado. I did that for three years. Uh, that company is still doing well and about to send the satellite antennas up to space this year. Um, however, I had met a close friend of mine uh, at SpaceX, and we had stayed in touch. We've been in friends for seven years now. Um, that's Evan Casey, And we uh, were both pilots, and we wanted to get back into aviation. And I wanted to do something bigger and bolder than what I was up to. So we started hashing ideas around. And uh, we took a look at regional electric flight. There are companies working on taking airliners and electrifying them. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people in the urban air mobility space working on doing electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. These are companies that you've probably heard of, like Joby, uh, Lilium, Kitty Hawk. And all these companies are doing short hops over a city on batteries, basically, to, to jump over traffic. Uh, Evan and I looked at those two ends of that spectrum and decided we wanted to do long-range battery EV tall. And all the research we did said it wasn't possible. Hmm. Uh, but, but we studied why it wasn't possible, and we applied our rocketry background and decided if we split the vehicle into two separate vehicles where you have one lift vehicle, which is essentially uh, a multi-rotor helicopter with batteries on board, and then the other one is a electric airplane that's very efficient, and you separate them and let the electric airplane fly long ranges efficiently and then rejoin them at the other end with a, a separate lift vehicle, that you can actually get rid of all the problems that plague the other vehicles and you can get 3x the range. Uh, so you can actually fly regional flights on batteries only uh, between destinations. And for us, that was an idea worth pursuing. It's a completely new way to do aviation. Uh, it's a way to move aviation to electrification. So it's a big idea that will completely change the way people fly should we be successful. So for us, that was worth jumping ship from he was still at SpaceX. And we started Talon in July 2019. We've been at it for nine months now, um, and we did YC starting in January. So we did that for three months. That's really interesting. And the technology sounds really interesting. For me, confusing. Can we go a little bit, just a little bit in depth into how this works? So there is a, 
plane and and helicopter that join together when uh, the plane arrives to its destination. It, does it sound about right? Yeah. So <clears throat> there's a lift vehicle is what we're calling it, or sometimes a carrier vehicle. And there's one at each end of a route. And mm-hmm. it essentially looks like what many of the other urban air mobility EV tall designs look like. It's got four rotors. It's a quadcopter. Uh, it, it's actually eight because they're in pairs, but whatever. It's, it's easier to describe this for people are familiar with that. And it has a wing on it, but it doesn't have a fuselage. <clears throat> the other vehicle is just an electric aircraft. Uh, so it looks pretty much like any other airplane except for it's electric. Um, and the lift vehicle sits on top of it uh, on the pad, like a helipad, and picks it up. They transition to forward flight together. So now they're both flying on their wings, and the rotors that you use to take off vertically have been turned off. Once they're flying on their wings, they separate out gently. Uh, This is somewhat similar to the Virgin Galactic spaceship maneuver, where the spaceship is dropped off the, the, also the lift vehicle there, except for that one doesn't do vertical takeoff and landing. Once they're separated, the lift vehicle returns to the pad. And the cruise vehicle, which is the airplane, flies to its destination. It doesn't have to carry around any of those rotors. And so you get rid of all the air drag associated with that. You get rid of all the mass associated with that. And so you can get, you can fly much further. Um, and when you arrive at the destination, you'll have another lift vehicle do a midair rendezvous with you. This kind of looks like aerial refueling, where you fly up and grab the hose mm-hmm. of the tanker, except for we're going to fly up and actually physically dock with the lift vehicle um, and then both vehicles will transition to vertical flight and descend down to the pad that's extremely interesting and sounds really complicated so it's it's an interesting use case for, for fundraising radio because i love hard tech because of the complications that it's facing while fundraising so uh let's first talk about yc and then we'll go into fundraising for for this project so how did you get into yc how do you you get from the first try or do you try multiple times (coughs) uh we only tried once i know a handful of other yc founders and so i I had some coaching on how to do the application and the interview and they also have an internal recommendation system so that helps also oh um Yeah, and we also have pretty, our backgrounds fit, kind of fit their requirements pretty well. So uh, I I would say for those out there that are trying to get in, um, there are a lot of really silly mistakes made on the application. And there's a lot of information out there on how not to make those mistakes. Uh, So just go Google that. But really, your best bet is to go find founder that's gone through YC. There are thousands of them now. And either through your network or maybe just cold outreach and trying to get to know somebody at least well enough to get a little coaching and um, potentially a recommendation. One of the YC ethos is to help people once you've gone through there. So many founders, if they have the bandwidth, are very open to that. That's really interesting. It's a really nice idea so you said that they have a recommendation system at yc so uh how does this work can just one founder uh yc alumni if he or she thinks that the project is great they just uh, reach out to yc and saying that hey i recommend that 
and do they count like votes or something? How, how, how does this work? So I'm actually not privy to the internal, so I don't know, but I just know that it's kind of like getting a job recommendation where mm -hmm. somebody says, hey, it's probably worth your time to check this person out. That's really interesting. I actually didn't know about that system, so it's, it's great to know. Uh, so now let's talk a little bit about um, fundraising after graduating from YC or which stage of fundraising are you at right now? Uh, we are raising a seed round um, coming out of Demo Day. So Demo Day was, I guess, about a month ago. Um, we're a little more than halfway through it. So we are making good progress. Um, it's a challenging fundraising environment with COVID for sure. And we've mm -hmm. seen some of that, but we've also, you know, it hasn't stopped us. So we're doing okay. That's great. That's great. Good to know. So uh, can you go a little bit in depth into how do you think YC actually affected your fundraising process? So what I've heard from other uh, YC graduates is that Sometimes when you graduate from YC, you actually get emails from investors and like, hey, can you pitch us? We want to check this project out. Has that happened to you a lot? It happens some, not a lot. Um, that definitely happens. Uh, Demo Day is kind of the primary driver investor inbound. I would say YC was a huge boost to our fundraising, um, and that was the primary reason we went. So it worked in that regard. Absolutely. But you still have to reach out to investors, right? Uh, the way Demo Day worked this year, which was different than any other year, is investors were given a website with all the companies on it, and they were able to choose who they wanted to talk to, which essentially mimics um, what the in-person Demo Day would be, where they see a pitch and then they mm -hmm. go talk to you. So it, because of COVID, it was online, but it was it's generally you get inbound interest from demo day and that's the most valuable part of demo day rather than having to reach out to all these people. You still have to do the reach out and the follow-up, but you do get a lot of inbound interest from demo day. Right. That's, that's really interesting actually. So let's talk a little bit about pre YC situation. Uh, when you started the company, did you just bootstrap the whole thing? Or how, how big was your team by the way? Our team is, just the two of us founders, and it still is just the two of us founders. We're about to start growing that now. Um, we did bootstrap it on our own for six months until we got the YC funding. That's great. So um, let's talk a little bit about bootstrapping. So I know in deep tech, hard tech, it's really hard to raise money before you have some proof of concept, just like in any other field. But in hard tech and deep tech, sometimes to get this proof of concept, you need to build at least a minimum viable product and in hard tech that minimum viable product can cost millions so how, how do you think should founders solve this problem should they try to reach out to grants or uh, any other similar sort of funding definitely go after grants we are going after grants right now sbirs um, primarily through the various government agencies uh, that's a good signal point but really for us, and I think for anybody, you should take that minimum vial product idea and apply it to your startup, regardless of whether or not it's deep tech. Um, we we started flying remote control airplane models and custom, custom uh, quadcopters with the wings on them almost immediately. So I, I think you can still do things cheaply and quickly. Right. We're not doing fusion reactors, so it's, <laughs> it's not quite at that scale, but I. I think if you 
you need some sort of indicator and whether it's a physical hardware prototype or um, there's classic examples of you know people hacking together AI systems by sitting at the back end and actually being the AI and giving that quote AI front end to customers. And essentially you're doing something that would not be what your actual product is, but you're mimicking it for free rather than having to create an AI. Does the customer want to use it? Do they love it? If not, like don't waste your time building that AI or whatever it may be. So maybe try and figure out a way to still do a an MVP of sorts. Um, right, that, that's a good advice. Another thing that I really want to discuss with you is trying to reach out to different incubators and accelerators other than YC. Why do you choose to go to YC while there are many accelerators and incubators focusing specifically on clean tech? Yeah, we had, I've got a little bit of experience founding a company, a little bit of business experience. I have a network from my college days at Stanford. And so for us, the incubator was less about how to build a company than to help, how to get help fundraising. And YC mm -hmm. is like head and shoulders above everyone else in that regard, Absolutely. I can tell. And it's not necessarily that they're any better at teaching you, although they are quite good at it, but it's just they've created a brand that creates investor frenzies. And so that's, to me, was the primary benefit, whereas most of the other accelerators, their big offering is both education of how to create a business and also often like uh, strategic partnerships with large companies. We don't want to partner with a large company yet. We'd like to develop our tech uh, while we're small and nimble and go do that later. Uh, so for us, YC was a clear choice. We didn't actually seriously consider or apply to any others. God, that's, that's, that Not makes sense. Soon, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. But, uh, and definitely YC is a great accelerator in terms of fundraising. Whenever someone's saying, hey, I'm a YC graduate, uh, investors are automatically basically interested in at least hearing what, where are you up to. So um, let's talk a little bit more about founders who didn't get a chance to get to YC because I know the acceptance rate is like below 1% and many founders just can't make it. What do you think should founders who are building something in deep tech or clean tech, what should they do? The classic advice, and I think it works here, is warm intros. Um, you should, if you don't know people, you need to create that network. Like it's very difficult to cold walk into anything and take get a VC meeting. So whether whether it's through press, uh, which is potentially valuable, but maybe not the best, but also just meeting people and being helpful. I think is the most useful way to get to know people rather than just asking for something from them. Uh, it's, I can see it's a tough slog. So mm -hmm. you either have to have a tech that's so compelling that an investor can look past the fact that it's cold, a cold intro, or you have to bootstrap yourself to some sort of profitability where an investor can't ignore the, the financials behind your company. Um, Otherwise, you're going to have to get a warm intro. So it's literally just spending. Unfortunately, it's probably spending years getting to know people. Yeah. Maybe potentially even ahead of time of starting a company. Like if you want to start a company at some point, 
if you're not networking right now, you're wasting your time. So I think you should That's start really now. Point. I've seen many founders trying to network when they're actually in fundraising stage. So when they have like, when they expect to raise in about three to six months, and they think that at that time they're going to build their network just like that. And it's, it's not genuinely, it's not working. So now let's talk a little bit about your personal experience as an investor. You've done some angel investing in the past. Are you doing it now as well while building your company or uh, do you put it on hold right now? Uh, I would say I opportunistically do it. I'm not a big investor, so I don't have a lot of funds. Um, so it's not something I could even pursue uh, significantly if I wanted to, but I am still opportunistically investing. Uh, that's mostly through kind of random inbound, or if I read about something that I'm so into, I feel like I need to reach out to the founder, which is actually how I found one or two of the companies that I've invested oh, in. Nice. That's impressive. So have you, uh, I, I mentioned that you often get some cold emails or introductions. What's the best way for a founder to reach you? Do you even consider people who are uh, saying you cold invites on LinkedIn or cold emails? I would, um, but I'm not inundated with messages. So I, I might be more receptive. I'm also kind of generally an optimist on new ideas. And so if somebody sends me a message on LinkedIn or a cold email, if they somehow got my email somewhere, uh, I'm guaranteed to look at it. Uh, but I also will not generally reply if I'm not interested. So that's just, it's just not worth engaging for me. Right? If you think about it from the point of view of an investor, of if they get a hundred of those a day and they reply, no, thank you to all of them. Every single person's <laughs> going to probably push back. Yep. Um, so it just clogs up your inbox. So I, I would say if you email somebody and they don't reply, don't feel bad. I wouldn't even feel bad about sending an email again. They might've just missed it in their inbox. Um, but a non-response generally means they either missed it or they looked at it and they're not interested. So you should move on. But I, I'll always look at it because I think there's always that chance that you know somebody sends you something cold that's super interesting. Right here, I just want to recommend some uh, sort of advice here from me. I think you should install uh, some sort of email tracking on your email because that way you can see who actually read it and just didn't reply, which means a no. And someone who might just missed it, you know, and forgot about it. So those who read it and just didn't reply, just don't bug them because it pisses people off. So just, just don't do that. So last question, Jamie, and then we'll wrap it up. I like to ask this every speaker of mine. What do you think should the founder do? First three steps the founder should take to get this check from an investor. The first what? The first three steps that the founder should take to get the, the check from an investor. Well, a warm intro, and I would kind of beat that one to death, but is the best way to get it started. And then follow up with any questions with, as soon as possible but, and make your responses thoughtful. I've actually gotten uh, at least one investment into Talon where the investor stated, wow, this was over email. Wow, that was a very thoughtful, well-written response uh, I talked to other companies and I did not get that kind of response. And in my head, it was like, are you kidding me? Like somebody's offering to potentially give you money and you're not going to spend 15 or 30 <laughs> minutes on an email response. Like what, what are people doing? Um, 
uh, you know, maybe if you're like the the hotness in Silicon Valley company uh, and you can afford to do that, but quick, thoughtful responses to any questions and follow-ups. And then always assume the investor's busy. And so do not expect them to actively follow up with you unless you are a very hot deal again, in which case they will, but you need to ping them. Do you have further questions a couple days later? Uh, if you still haven't heard back, you know, can we circle back? Do you have any other questions I'd like to move forward? What are our next steps? Like, don't assume they're going to actively come back to you. If you don't follow up and I'm an investor, I'm just going to assume that you're not going to follow up on your business. And so why would I invest in you? You need to reach out to me. Um, so it, it has to be an active close. You have, it's just like in business or sales where you can't just right. expect the deal to happen. You have to nurture it through the whole process. Absolutely. That's a great advice. I absolutely love the third advice of this. I mean, the first two are great too, but the third one I think is specifically important because some founders just think that, oh man, he's, he doesn't want to talk to me. He's not worth my time then. It's not, it's not how it works. So yeah. yeah, make sure that you follow up on your emails, make sure that you do your homework on the investor. And while doing that, don't remember not to bug people too much. Don't email them like every single day. It's just gonna right. piss them off. So we'll wrap it up here. Thanks a lot, Jamie, for sharing your experience at YC, uh, your experience as an angel investor, your experience in fundraising in general. That was really helpful. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Take care. Have a good day.